Welcome to E-Commerce with Coffee, a podcast powered by Amber Engine, where we share e-com secrets for brands over your favorite brew. We start with the caffeine and then leap enthusiastically into behind-the-scenes e-com insights that led to the success of our guests. I'm Nate Svoboda, and I'm about to serve you up the best. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of E-Commerce with Coffee. In this conversation, I get to speak to Sneha Narahali. She is the VP and head of product for digital, data, and the marketing tech stack at Sephora. And her teams are really focused on customer acquisition, client conversion, and all of the Omni initiatives across Sephora's many different channels. Now, today, we're really going to be focusing in on what does successful innovation in the world of e-commerce look like? and how to apply technology to business goals in a meaningful and productive way so that you can personalize at scale for the consumer. Um, And we're also going to be really interested to hear about her experience as a female professional in the world of tech. So Sneha, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nate. I'm super excited and I have my coffee as well. I was just going to ask. The title, so thank you. So what is your uh, what is your go to type of coffee? Do you brew it yourself? Do you like hot or cold? Like what's Sneha grabbing in the morning? Uh, doesn't matter. Funny story. Um, my mom comes from the land of coffee in India. It's called Kurg. So we used to have grow our own coffee. We still do. So um, the coffee that I get is from back home. Um, so I usually go for that. Otherwise, blue bottle fills are some of my favorites. Wow. That I mean, I'm jealous because I just I just get my beans from Starbucks and I can imagine they're nowhere near as nice as what you have. So do you literally like grind it up yourself or do you get it pre-ground? Do you add anything to the coffee or do you just drink it black? So my mom does all the hard work. I just get the ready uh, to use um, grounded coffee. But yeah, we actually like dry it out in the sun, add stuff, make it more flavorful. And nowadays there's like so much flavor in coffee. So we kind of do all of that. Yeah, you don't even need to add stuff to it. Wow, that sounds yummy. I I uh, am really on a cold coffee kick. I don't know what it is. I, I just I'll I just can't really drink hot coffee anymore. I just really prefer it iced. So man, I don't know. It's starting to get a little cold here. I don't know if uh, that'll probably change in the not so distant future. But very cool. So you know, Sneha, really to start out, um, I would love to know a little bit more for our listeners about your background. Right, you worked at Sears for a while, then you worked at Walmart and Walmart Labs, um, and then now you're at Sephora. And from the outside perspective, it seems like all of those roles did pertain to technology from a retail standpoint, a customer touchpoint standpoint. You know, can you talk to us a little bit about a how you got to where you are and what motivates you to continue in this area? Sure. Um, so you hit it on the right spot. I think it's always been focused on technology and customer experience, be it the end customer, store associates, or anybody else. I think I got into product management um, because of a rotational program that I was in. I was basically a software engineer, and I kind of didn't like that. So I was like, let me try out something else. Um, And I got into product management. Um, And I think the jump from Sears to Walmart to Sephora has been on two um, grounds like one is the work and the role and the scope that the role has to offer and second thing is people which as i continue to grow i think i've come to understand how important like your leadership team is and the people that you work for is much more important than 
um the role itself so that has been like a conscious decision that i you know i'm making when i make the next move um what motivates me i think is basically ambiguity um just not knowing um the path that is laid out in like step 1 2 3 um i best operate in a world which is like here is the blue sky here is generally where we need to go figure it out right like that kind of a space is what um excites me and luckily enough like i've had like all of my initiatives that i've worked for so far has been like people have understood that about me and have kind of given me the opportunities as well to um you know play in that space yeah i mean it, depending on the type of person you are it's great when you you get that level of freedom right because it allows you to be creative it allows you to innovate it allows you to try new things and you know without the risk of necessarily failure because you're always learning right now you know you've you've been in tech for a number of years i mean the technology changes so fast i would just be curious to hear like what are some of the trends you've experienced personally whether that be from a technology at an organization standpoint whether it be from the expectations of the consumer you know just would love to open that up for you sure I think the biggest trends that I have seen is companies reinventing themselves as technology companies rather than a retail or a business focused company right because um the importance of technology driving business strategy I know it's it's easier said than done but then um over my journey I've actually seen that happen where it's not like here is our business goal and um you know we'll see if technology can achieve it or not but it's a partnership between technology and business to see um what business strategies we have to implement and going even a step further i think um there have been areas where technology is able to drive business strategy as well um in terms of whether it's externalizing the software um having like intern external revenue streams that are coming in because of the software that we are building i think that's one of the key trends that i've seen um over the past couple of years yeah and i'd be interested to hear there's so much i mean especially in recent years there are so many technology solutions for pretty much everything that a business would need right there's so many that y- you may have a problem and not even know that there's a tool available that that solves that issue but so when vetting these solutions for an organization how should that person at the person on the team whether they're the buyer or just an end user how should they be thinking about you know solutions as they relate to the brand's larger goals for the organization versus things that are a little bit more tactical pain points and and more in the moment i think it's always a balancing act right like i don't think there is um there's one solution or one formula that fits all i kind of um correlate this to like choosing the next step in your career right like for example you know there was all there's always this question sometimes in interviews they ask you like hey where do you see yourself in 5 years right and i before i used to be like i don't know okay right i don't know what i'm going to do like in the next year i don't know what i'm going to do in 5 years but now when i cho- um like decide hey what am i going to do in my next step like i have a goal of like where do i eventually see myself and then is my next step aligning to that goal overall even if it means taking a step back making compromises along the way if it direct if it 
helps me get to the goal that I want to. And I see te- choosing a technology also in the similar way where you want to make sure that you're building or buying or getting something that is solving the needs for now. But is, is it directionally pushing you to the direction that you want from a brand perspective or not? And the questions that you need to ask yourself and have the answers to is, why do we need this? Like, what problem is this solving for now? What is the evolution to it? Like, what else it could be doing, not now, but in the future? And then um, how does this tie into the bigger goal? And this is really key because it helps in prioritization as well, because if there are multiple such solutions that are solving for an immediate pain point, you would rather prioritize something that would lead you in the direction of a bigger goal rather than just looking at something that is going to solve for an immediate pain point. And don't get me wrong that you always have to go down that way. Sometimes you get wins. Win A win is a win, right? Like you take the short wins and you say, okay, this solved for now. Great. While you think of a long-term solution. So it should not delay the process. No, I... I... I think that this ties in. I one of my favorite quotes is "Don't let the don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good." Yes, right? it may that. not be perfect, but it is good enough for now. So yeah. move on. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, now you know tech, and I think I literally said this just a few minutes ago. Technology has changed so rapidly, especially in like the past decade. Let's just call it. You know, it, back in the day, there and maybe not ten years ago. This may be even further back, but you know, there were these monolithic applications that people would use, and you know, it was one technology solution to solve a, a number of pain points. And then now we're seeing there's you know more in it, there's a larger number of inexpensive vendors or solutions that do a much more specific thing and arguably do it better, but again, because their focus is so much smaller. So thinking not about what we just spoke about. What needs to be true of a technology solution for it to be as useful um, today and in 10 years as it has been in the past? This is a great question. Like, I think we should ask this question more and more so that people talk about it a lot, because I think um, what needs to be true about a technology solution is a strong foundation that is able to adapt for change, right? Like, which is... I don't think the mindset generally when we build for um, you know, solving customer problems because we're looking at the customer problem and we're seeing, okay, if it makes sense for that or not. But when you're building a platform, you need to make sure that the foundation um, is also going to service you not only in the near future, but like come five, 10 years down the line. Um, starting with like the building blocks and an architecture that anticipates the risks and the changes and planning for it, right? Like, you know, there's going to be changes, you know, there's going to be risk. What you need to articulate better is what kind of change, what kind of risk do you foresee? And um, one of the things that I use is like, which I've come to, you know, uh, practice when we build products is like, what is the use case that you're building for now? What is a more realistic use case in the future, which you could possibly do? And one use case way into the future in the world of Iron Man or like whatever you want to think of, like that could possibly happen, right? So is your technology going to be adapting um, to such changes with minimal effort and minimum cost, right? It's not about um, being so rigid about like, hey, we are not going to make changes. That's not, it's just that, 
make changes but don't ask for a million dollars now to like make change for everything that you do um and the other aspect that i think is quite underrated is the creativity of the people in being able to think outside of the box and also looking at solutions that is outside of their domain but is able to like solve another use case totally not in the domain of what you have so if you are in a large company you are probably in like a, the domain such as supply chain or customer experience or what what not right but then if you're building a solution can it help a person outside of your domain i think is um that creativity is super crucial to like make sure that we are building um you know for the future yeah and i and i'm glad that you brought that up i think this is this is obviously an opinion i think this is becoming less of an issue in recent years than it has been in the past right these business silos where you know marketing doesn't talk to sales and they don't talk to product and nobody talks to it right and there are these there were these swimming lanes and I think that that has really started to go away. But to your point, you don't know what you don't know. A, a team on, in a business might be looking for a solution. And who knows, the company may already have something that solves their pain point. But if there's not that bridge that or that gap, that uh, bridge across the gap in these silos, then potentially an organization is duplicating efforts, they're wasting resource. So, you know, I guess you know, I think I may have even just answered the question myself, but so what can brands do to ensure that they don't acquire too many solutions or have too much technology overlap and who at the organization should really try and and bridge those gaps, like we said? Yeah, I think um, how do we ensure that we are not acquiring too many solutions or we are not building um many um, solutions that solve the same problem i think the first step is taking a step back and generalizing what that solution will bring to the table right like for example um if you are trying to book slots for grocery on you know the dot com site where you know you will say that hey i need my grocery between 9 a.m to 11 a.m you are basically building a reservation system right so now you can look at using that reservation system for booking any other kind of appointments booking consultations between an in-store and a um, customer um, online can we bridge the gap between omni-channel uh, wherein you're chatting with the you know call center agent and they're saying hey i'm not quite sure do you want to come into the store here is the appointment that you could use right so if you're generalizing the software that you're building and saying that this is a reservation system, the use case that I'm currently solving for is for grocery. But the way that I'm building is like, I have a client that is gonna use this, but there could be multiple other clients who could be using my software. I think in that sense, from an organizational perspective, what has helped me it's kind of hard to like put this mentality to like um, everybody and make them understand how this works. So the way that I put it is, if you have to sell your product, this is a product that you're building. You have to make money out of it. You can't have just one customer and be like, I'm done. This is what I'm going to get. How do you acquire more customers? How do you spend less to like make sure you're getting more use cases? How are you marketing and evangelizing your product so that people are even aware that this exists? you've done the work so i mean what is the harm in like marketing in marketing and talking about it right i think marketing what we do is um at least being in the product management world like something very important for us to do 
and at an organization level also having that mindset that we are not um, we are not pushing our organizational silos to the end customer at the end of the day it is you know a sephora customer or a walmart customer and we're going to make it work irrespective i think would help as well yeah, no, and I love how you laid that out. But so thinking about product management as a discipline, right? Maybe first of all, if you could just give us a, a high-level definition, you know, how to, what is a product manager? How does that differ from project management? Because I think maybe some people would be confused there. But then, what are some commonalities among really great product managers that you've seen in your experience? So a little bit of a definition, and then any commonalities that you can think of. The way that I think of product management is. Um, bringing together a group of people to solve a problem that is relevant and needed right and um whether be it like professional or personal i think there's a little bit of product management in all of us um, um and we do it in a constant basis right like my dog is sick i need to like take him to the hospital and then i have a meeting so i'm trying to prioritize what's more important at this time i'm trying to solve for the problem so i think Inherently, we all have a bit of problem solving, um, a little bit of fine tuning of like, is this the right problem to solve? Does it make sense? And what does success look like? Did I actually solve this problem or no? Is what product management brings to the table um, and adds value. I think commonalities um, amongst great PMs, um, at least when I look for hiring or looking at building my team, all I look for is common sense, logical thinking, and the ability to like make friends and drive alignment without making a lot of enemies, right? Like you, you can't um, like, you know, this is the problem you've got to solve. Um, I don't look at domain experience as a must have because that's something you can learn along the way. Um, you need to be passionate about, hey, this is what I need to be solving and it makes sense. But at the same time, bringing together the multiple, multiple teams that we need to work with, be it engineering, UX, business, like there's project management, there's so many teams. Look, how do I get them all and say that this is the ship that we need to go on and it is headed in the right direction and trust me, you won't drown, like come on board and make it seem like, you know, they want to come on board my ship because it's exciting, right? So that, um, that nature of like making sure that everybody is excited to be on the journey that you are showing them, I think is super critical um, in being a good PM. No, absolutely. And and those interpersonal skills help you, like you said, not making enemies or, or making friends, making allies. And I, I believe it was, um, I think it was a Gartner report that I had seen recently. Uh, and it was talking about, you know, what skills do you need to develop, you know, to up the bench strength of your organization, right, for the future leadership. And, you know, the number one thing, it, it wasn't cloud. It wasn't, you know, an IT related technical skill. It was business acumen was number one. And it was just interpersonal skills. Because to your point, the more technical stuff that can be taught, that can be learned. It's a lot harder to teach somebody how to be interpersonal. Right. I think that that's something that it's it's teachable, but it's much easier to to ex express when it's just innate within you. Um, so I love that. Now, shifting gears a little bit, we've talked a lot about, you know, technology. How do you use and implement it in an organization successfully? But now let's talk about personalization as it pertains to, you know, the consumer experience to e-commerce. So first and foremost, when I say personalization or personalization at scale, 
what does that in your mind look and feel like from the consumer's point of view? I think from a consumer standpoint, um, personalization means learn what I'm doing. If I'm changing, adapt to the way that I'm changing and make my life easier and if possible, delight me, right? So every step that I'm taking, irrespective of um, be it like, hey, I need to make a purchase or I need to find more about a product or I need to like complete the look for a home or for myself, like each and every step that I'm taking, like understand what are those steps that um, that I'm taking and how does this make sense in the larger picture. Um, I also think um, personalization for like in general, I think human beings want to make life easier for themselves, like would love for me not to think about anything. And the next step is a natural progression, right? Like I don't want friction point in everything that I do. So how do how does one remove the friction away from my end journey? And if I'm able to add a sense of delight, like, hey, I want to make a purchase, but the way that I can get to it is through something that's exciting would definitely add a layer of um in-depth personalization that we don't have. So that is what I would say is, you know, personalization from a consumer style. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And I mean, I personally love when I buy something from a brand that I enjoy and then they say, hey, you bought this. We hope you're having a great experience. If you like it, you'd probably love this item. And I would say, I don't always buy it, but usually 70 plus percent of the time I go, wow, okay, I would actually kind of like that. That looks kind of sweet. So I to totally agree with you there. But so now thinking from an operational standpoint of how we get there, um, you know, even from a very tactical view, what are some of those um, essential systems or softwares or technologies that a brand really needs to support that personalization experience? I think the fundamental thing is data to understand um, what step each customer is taking and doing what action the intent behind the data just not capturing the data for itself but also being able to understand the intent um, the second thing is having an ecosystem that is adaptable to any channel that the customer is going to have a touch point with your brand right be it um, your online channel your in-store your mobile, like whatever it is, like having an ecosystem that understands um, each of these channels and then um, having these channels hooked on to the ecosystem so that the insights that you're generating and the personalization journey that you're trying to build is cross-functional and it's not siloed to a particular experience. Because as I mentioned, I don't think it's about specific um intent that hey um i just need to buy you know lipstick online that that's not what my goal is as a customer my goal is i need to buy something and to take it a step further i need to buy something because of something else right and trying to understand that goal and just not the intent to purchase like why do i want um you know like skincare related stuff like maybe i have acne so I'll, like i usually try to get something that is good for my sensitive skin so trying to understand that intent so that you can cater your experience to solving the goal of the customer as opposed to being 
it being very transactional. So if you're looking at the data and the ecosystem and how this hooks up to each of these channels, I think it will give you this um, personalization world that can adapt to like the changes as well as being able to give the right content to the right people at the right time, right? So then they are able to like um, consume it and it makes sense to them at the end of the day and it's not creepy or overburdening or you know you're not bombarding them with tons and tons of stuff that doesn't make sense or it makes sense but there's always too much so how do you make sure you're not doing too much of it as well absolutely I lo- and i love the emphasis on data and i'm i'm probably gonna fail from the outset here but there was a there was an image that was being shared all over the internet like i think it was a, a year ago maybe a little less and it was you know just a bunch of blocks just jumbled around in a pile and that was data Right. And then those blocks assembled into a tower or, you know, some basic structure that's information. And then you take those blocks and you actually build a beautiful house that someone could live in. That's knowledge. Yep. Right. So it's not it's it's about having that data, but then it's about having whether it's a system or probably a person on your team who can actually do something meaningful with it. Right. Tell a story with it. Figure out how to actually benefit the consumer or the business with it. Yes. And not just looking at um I mean, any data is going to be valuable data. How do you stitch that to tell a story that makes sense for us to take action on? I think is a um, you know skill that every company needs to like build on. Totally agree. Totally agree. Now, I'm going to start with with the not positive one here. So you know, given the variety of projects that you've worked on at at again, you know, Sears, Walmart, Sephora, just to name three of them, um, what you know, talk about a time where you were managing a project or an initiative that maybe didn't go so well. How did you navigate that? I don't know if it's so much failure is the word because it's you're learning from it. So I don't really consider that a failure. But how did you navigate that, whether there was any pressure on you from above or any customer sentiments that you had to deal with? Just talk me through how you dealt with that situation. I think, um, I mean, of course, there have been several examples where Uh, things that we built um, did not pan out the way we intended it to be and to your point I don't think about it as failure but that also is is a little bit biased because I've always worked in larger companies so there is a lot more tolerance for you know things that don't pan out because it's not like a do or die situation so I would totally not apply this to like a startup kind of environment Um, I think for for me personally, like being able to, I think the first thing that I saw was impacted was the morale of the team and the people who built it and what 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 is next step, right? What does this mean for them that the product is not doing well? Will this impact like their career? Is this going to impact their growth in the company? So how do you take away the... Um, you know the not success of the product to like the people because the people still did the work like you still were trying to do the right thing so how do you kind of um, keep those two separated and still um, motivate the team that we learned that this is not the path to go which is success because we figured we would rather not invest in this as much as we intended to be and then the second thing is knowing the right time of like when to call it quits right like um I mean, I have, I, I'm to blame for certain times where I've gone, like, where I'm like trying to push so hard that I'm like, no, we invested in this, we've got to make this work, it's going to work. But 
at some point you're like you know this is it this is not solving the things we need to pivot a little bit um and that's where the earlier questions of how do you build technology with foundational blocks so then when you're pivoting your strategy to something else if you had like five building blocks maybe you take two or three of it you discard the other two but you build something else so you're not redoing from scratch you're kind of reutilizing what you built on but you're pivoting it to like the needs that um you actually need to solve for i think that's the yeah. way that i kind of approached it no i i love how you immediately called out needing you know noticing the morale of your team right because i mean it's it's true even if if you're just managing the team and there's people who are who are supporting you or are working with you you know you may you may feel pressure from above but they're the people who did a lot of the work so they probably take that a lot more personally um so i absolutely love that now there was one other piece that I was going to say. I also, you know, I, I appreciate talking about it in terms of it's not a failure if you're learning from it, right? And what I, what I was going to say, actually, I would bet that knowing when to call it quits, knowing when to pull the plug, when to pivot, that's probably the hardest part of being an entrepreneur or a creator. And it really takes a lot of, of ability to introspect, right? You, ha you have to not have much of an ego to be I able don't. to say, yeah, I was, I was wrong or my team and I were wrong and we got sh to shift direction. But at the end of the day, if you can do that, you're probably going to be a lot more successful in the long run because you're not you know, wasting time and resource chasing something that may not yeah. be what you want to chase at the end of the day. But I think, Nate, the important thing in that is the storytelling bit of it rather than the decision making because... Your gut at some point will tell you this. I think the fear of actually calling it out and saying it to others it is what holds you back a little bit, right? So how do you tell that story where you're saying, guys, this is a pivotal moment. We have learned X, Y, Z. This is where we need to go to. We think making this change is going to help us accelerate our path towards the future is something that any executive, any leadership would be like, okay, that makes sense, right? But instead of if you're putting a negative spin to it and you're saying, guys, we screwed up, like this is not going to work, like we don't know, like what are we going to do about it? Like then you're already going like a slippery slope, right? You're already like, like what? So I think more than the decision making, it's like how do you tell the story that is aligned with, you know, everybody that's listening to it so that it makes sense for them. Absolutely. You got to put it, put it in words that the audience is actually going to comprehend yes. and that they're going to care about. Right. So now switching gears a little bit on that same thought, can you talk to us quickly about an example where, you know, you had a, a great success, like you had a project or an initiative that went even better than you had expected it to. And what I'm really looking for here is what was accomplished and how was that success measured by you, by the business, whoever the stakeholder was? Sure. I think, um, my Walmart experience, the last couple of years that I was with Walmart, um, we built an um, in-house crowdsourcing platform. Um, it was called Spark, and now it's, we're, I still feel like I'm part of that team, although I have moved on to Sephora. Like, Walmart is externalizing it as, you know, Walmart go local. Like, that is the technology that other retailers can now use to actually build their delivery solutions, which like the success of that has exceeded like what I had anticipated for and I feel extremely proud to be part of that journey and just 
for a couple of reasons, right? Like one, it started as a hallway conversation between three people. And this was no way in, um, in an area that at that point of time, like Walmart was kind of invested in, in building technologies that we would sell outside as a software solution. So, um, it was nowhere, you know, in the radar of doing, being able to do that. And this was something that we thought would make sense in the current grocery landscape and delivery landscape that we were playing in. So from that three person hallway conversation, like we built something from scratch. We had to like vet it against other industry, um, companies who were doing this as their bread and butter, like prove that this made sense. And then actually like see it grow to an extent where um, it's being like externalized and it's a revenue generating stream and not just solving the problem for Walmart, I think has been um, extremely, um, you know, um, exciting for me. Um, And um, I think what um, this level of um, the surprise that I had um, throughout this process was we were always trying to aim for doing better and better. Like, you know, we are, we are always having, pushing our goal away a little bit every time we made success. But, um, I don't think either anybody who started the initiative, like anticipated it to be this big. Um, and it just makes us feel proud to see that it's come such a long way. Yeah, no, and that's exciting. And to your point, even though you may not technically be on the team, right, you were so instrumental in creating it. I mean, you know, regardless of whether you're actively involved now, you're still always going to be proud of it because it's yeah. something that, you know, you had you had a hand in making. So that, that absolutely makes fun. sense to me. Like we have a well, WhatsApp group that we keep chatting about, just like we feel like so passionate about it all the time. It's like it's almost like an alumni group. Yeah. And, you know, funny but, thing, like all the initiatives that I've built, like now, if I look at it as it being its own startups in like whether it's, um, you know, the curbside experience, like in-house. So I'm like, maybe I should like switch gears and like start looking at building my own thing. Because if I had built all of these myself, then I would probably be in a different place right now. So that's also another conversation we keep having like, okay, we should look at building something ourselves. Well, then I think that we're going to have to have another conversation soon, Sneha, about, you know, the the, you know, the person who wants to become a creator like you had you do all this stuff. Then how do you actually decide to go out and and do it yourself? So, you know, we'll keep that in mind for the future. But the the last thing that I really wanted to talk to you about today, um, I've heard you talk, you know, before about, you know, the realities that women face in business and in tech. Right. And this is something I can't necessarily personally speak to. But, you know, biases, ladders that you have to climb, just continuous roadblocks that people have experienced over time. You know, what advice do you have for individual women as they're navigating their own careers, whether that be in tech or even just more generally? I think the biggest um, learning that I've had, I can't say this is the advice for everybody. Like if I had to go back and ask myself this question, like, you know, what would you do if you had to redo all the things that you've done? I know some people say, no, I love the way the journey has been. I'm like, no, I would change a million things if I know like what I would, what I know right now. Um, the biggest thing I think is, um, learning about yourself and also unlearning a few things that you have learned across you know your journey because a lot of the um, inhibitions a lot of the way 
I operate was because of what I was taught when I was young or my culture. Um, and I'm not saying it was wrong. It, it made sense then. But now that I'm in a more professional environment, like I need to adapt myself and being comfortable with who I am and ability to say that to others because I don't anticipate if I work with you that Nate, you will really understand like my deep insecurities and like adapt your style to mine, right? Like it's my job to tell you, Nate, I'm okay with this. I'm not okay with this. Um, I'm like very open with my boss. If he, like I hate being called out on stage like randomly, like I need some heads up. Like I'm like, if he calls me out, I'm like, no, you didn't give me a heads up. So sorry, I can't do it. Right. So being comfortable in understanding yourself and being able to tell that because you don't have to change your style on other people's expectations. You just have to communicate better so that everybody like works in a, you know, a cohesive way. I think that would be my biggest learning. No, and I appreciate you sharing that. And so flipping that on the other side, so that's something that, you know, we as the individuals can do. We have to take it upon ourselves to communicate our needs to our leadership. And so the hope then is that our leadership is going to be receptive to that, right? But so thinking more generally, what advice do you have for businesses to ensure that their team environments are as devoid as possible of these biases? I think the biggest thing is awareness because I don't think people even know like what are these biases that we face and if you don't call it out like you are you're never going to be, be like in a place to like correct it right so how do we constantly have this awareness and creating forums for people to be able to people to be comfortable enough to like talk about it um, because I don't think um, it's like a training program like for a you know a java or like a python or something like that where you have like here are the steps you go through the training and you're good to go i think it needs to be personalized like a customer experience journey because each individual is different so um how are you giving an environment for a person to show up as their true through authentic self and um and if there's no retaliation and there's no fear of trying to be that person right so how are you creating that environment and less tolerance probably for biases like once okay you give the feedback to you make it a little more serious but how are you also like um, addressing if this is a continuous activity and making sure that the tolerance is reducing yes they are adding a ton of value from a you know technical standpoint but if you are not a nice person to work with then it's equally important right so how do you make sure that um, it's as good as your technical skill. Nope. Well said. Um, well, Sneha, I've personally learned a lot in this conversation. This has been very interesting. Now, if our listeners, you know, they something that we've said really resonated them, they want to learn a little bit more about you or, or possibly reach out to you, where, where could they do that? LinkedIn. Um, I, I'm super active on LinkedIn. Um, that's what I, I know I should not be doing that, but that's the first time that I open, open when I wake up and the last one that I see. So people can reach out to me on LinkedIn. 
Awesome. Well, uh, sounds like we already have the next interview set for whenever that's going to take place. So I'm really excited. Don't about tell that takes my place. boss, okay? Like, yeah. like, no, <laughs> nope. That just this podcast that's going on the internet. It's okay. just between you and me, Sneha. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, thank, thank you very much for sharing your time with us and look forward to having you on for another conversation. Thank you so much, Nate. I had a lot of fun too. Thank you, Sneha. That's it for this episode of e-commerce with coffee powered by Amber engine. If you haven't gotten your fix yet, be sure to get more e-commerce brand secrets on our website at amberengine.com. And don't forget to subscribe for more episodes.